Emmanuel. Um, we're going to be looking at, you know, this evening kind of the, well, we'll sing and, and we'll get started. And we got to be patient with Jeremy, who is also sick. He might have COVID. No, no, I do not. Let's go ahead and stand up and sing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. <laughs> few weeks we've we've kind of y'all can sit down if you'd like um and if you don't have a candle you could probably raise your hand and abigail will probably run down the aisle and give you one um over the last few weeks we've been looking at different aspects of the birth of christ different aspects of of um the the christmas celebration and and this evening as we uh as we worship i wanted to kind of work through some of the perspectives and and talk about um some of the images we get of jesus uh, before he's born and when he's born. And actually, we're going to start with before. Um, the Old Testament, I mean, I could, honestly, I could preach a series of sermons. I could preach a year or several years of sermons on every little glimpse of Jesus um, that we find in the Old Testament. And, and Isaiah is probably the most popular and the most famous, and so I'm going to read a couple here. Um, the people who are walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Um, <coughs> Matthew quotes this text in his uh, account of the birth of Christ. And, and, you know, as we're talking about Christ, as we're talking about Jesus coming, as we're talking about the baby in the manger and, and the wise men and the shepherds and everything else, um, this text kind of nails it down in a way that almost nothing else does. Um, all of us lost in our sin, all of us dwelling in the land of darkness where people are cruel to each other, where, where the world seems hopeless, where um, you know, folks 
folks do wicked things and and even those of us who are are you know doing our best to do well continue to stumble and sin like we live in the land of darkness and that great light that is christ came on christmas um this is 700 years before jesus was born when um um, for example isaiah is arguing with king ahab and and this argument is going back and forth and and the you know god is excuse me Isaiah is telling the king, you know, hey, I'm going to deliver you from the enemy armies. And the king is like, oh, no, you know, I, I appreciate it so much. He says, well, ask me for a sign. Well, I can't ask for a sign. I can't test God. I can't. And, you know, Isaiah is like, nope, you've got to ask for a sign. And the king says, no, no, no signs. You know, it, that would be lack of faith. And, and finally, Isaiah says, here now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God as well? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. In that particular instance, um, there was probably a young woman in the king's uh, household who would have a child um, within the next year. And, you know, the, the Chaldeans would be, like, you know, kicked out of northern Israel and wouldn't manage to capture Judea. And, and you know, they would fail in their attempt to wipe out Israel. Like, like this great thing would happen, and the sign would be the birth of a baby um, in the household. But in a bigger sense, it was pointing forward to the coming of Christ, you know, a, a, you know the Son of God who would be born of a virgin. Um, as we work through Isaiah, which if we were going to do that this evening, you would find things like, from the, the stump of Jesse, there's a new sprout. You know, there's another one of those popular ones where, um, and I've been there, I've seen them, these olive trees, if you cut them off into stumps, and in fact, actually, if you go to the Garden of Gethsemane, there was a, uh, a Muslim king who, when he conquered the Holy Lands, he came through and he cut down all of the trees in the Garden of Gethsemane, all of the olive trees that were there when Christ was there. And olive trees are amazing in that if you cut them off, they'll sprout out of the stump. Like, they're almost unkillable. And David's lineage was cut off. Um, David's lineage was, was decimated. And out of that kingly lineage, um, just like God promised David, a new sprout came. A new king would arrive. And as we look at the Old Testament over and over and over again, God promises hope. And he promises a restoration of the kingdom of Israel. And he promises... Um, Um, forgiveness of sins he promises that his people will know him he promises that he will be with them like over and over and over again the old testament promises deliverance from from our enemies and and you know breaking free from the bondage that we live in and and light and dark and everything else like all of this stuff and what's amazing is that everybody had a perspective on what this would be um but it wasn't the whole picture and we're going to see that as we go through the Gospels, um, which will be the next little, like, like traveling through of the, the text um, in, this, in this Christmas message. Um, the birth of Christ was coming, but nobody understood it. They all had an image, and they all had a perspective. And even as the, the Gospel writers were presenting it, they presented a piece of it. Um, but we're blessed that we serve such a God that, like, you know, so many facets, so many faces, so many amazing things. And, and as we continue to worship, as we sing this evening, um, we're singing Hark the Herald Angels Sing, if I got the right one, um, as we continue to worship this evening. (coughs) 
All right, let's go ahead and sing again. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. sit down. Uh, We're going to be in the book of Matthew. Um, oh, golly, I hate using these things. Uh, <laughs> um, so what, what Matthew does, like as we start his gospel, everybody knows the beginning of Matthew, right? It's the genealogy. And we all love genealogies, right? Um, he counts out 14 generations between Abraham and David where, I'm sorry, I unplugged this thing so you can figure out what's wrong with it. Um, he counted 14 generations between Abraham and David, and then 14 generations between David and Christ. And the purpose of that was was to demonstrate how the promises Abraham made were fulfilled in Christ, and the promise the promises made to Abraham, sorry, and the promises made to David were fulfilled in Christ. And then, as we read it, um, we see where Matthew spends the most time dealing with like like the big Jewish arguments of the day and like the signs that the Jews were looking for and all of this other stuff. And so as we get into the, the, the birth account, um, Matthew gives us a really detailed um, explanation of the story of the Magi. Um, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? 
We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people, the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. Y'all didn't have a slide there. I'm sorry. Um, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go worship him. After they heard from the king, they went on their way, and the star had, they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, They returned to their country by another route. (coughs) So why am I including this? Well, if we're going to talk about Matthew presenting this Jewish perspective, um, the Jews were expecting a brand new king, a king in the line of David, which we've already established, right? That's where Matthew opens. Look, you know, he's in the line of David. And when kings were born, it was customary for rulers from foreign nations to come and honor them. Um, And actually, like that gift of gold and frankincense and myrrh, um, it's a traditional gift to give to, like, either a deity in a temple or to a king. Um, And actually, Isaiah 60 talks about gifts of frankincense and myrrh, or gold and myrrh, being given to God uh, in in one setting or another. Like, we, we, we see in here, and actually there are a few other little prophecies that are fulfilled, but the reason I'm talking about this is, for the Jews, they looked... And they were expecting a king, and he was a king. And they were expecting a Messiah, and he was that. They were expecting a fulfillment, like a person who would come and fulfill these promises, and a deliverer, and he was those things too. And so as Matthew tells his story, he tells a story that covers all of this ground, and it's kind of amazing, because Jesus is all of those things. He's the one that the Old Testament predicts about, and then in Matthew, he is the king of the Jews. He is the deliverer of the Jews. He is the Messiah. Um, he is deity as well. Um, and as we continue to worship, like, like we're worshiping a God, um, we're worshiping and celebrating the birth of the Son of God, who was all of these things. And it's an amazing thing. Like as we worship, as we celebrate, as we remember Christ on this day, um, <coughs> we're remembering blessing that is, that is beyond words and beyond description. And Matthew gives us just this glimpse um, of who Christ was in this respect. Let's continue worshiping. All right, let's sing some more Christmas songs.
Microphone working now. Let's try turning it on. Uh, of course, we're going to have technical difficulties today. Um, so we we looked at the prophets pointing forward, and we looked at Matthew um, explaining how Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that the Jews had hoped for. Um, and we're going to jump into John, and and we're going to do two separate little chunks of John. Um, but we're going to begin with in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. I'm going to pause there before we get too deep into this. Um, John gives us the beginning of a glimpse of how big the identity of Christ is. Because, like, it's not a small thing that he's predicted by the prophets as a deliverer and, and as, you know, the root of the stump, of, or the sprout from the root of the stump of Jesse and, and you know, God is with us. Um, or that he's the fulfillment of everything the Jews had hoped for. Um, but here we find out that he is, like, pre-existing. That before time and space were created... He was there and that he was with God and that he was God. Um, The fact that Christ, you know, this begins to set forth this idea that that the Trinity is a thing, that 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 baby born in the manger was um, one and the same with God, um, but separate. Like like he is not just a baby. He's not just a savior. He's not just a military leader that people thought he would be or, or any of that other stuff. He's not a healer, he, you know, though he did that. He's not a prophet, though he did that. He's not a great teacher, though he did that. Um, he is God. Um, and through him, all things were created. Now, there's an idea that goes with this. The word is this sort of outward expression of what God is, right? Like God speaks, and it is, which is a cool part of <clears throat> Genesis, if you read it, like, God has so much authority that he can say, light exists, and it exists where it doesn't. I mean, my kids are there, and the idea of obedience is a thing, and I can tell them to obey, but I don't have enough authority to make them obey, 
right? Like, but God is so powerful and so authoritative that through Christ, he's able to make things exist that don't exist. He's able to draw something out of nothing, which is, which is I mean, it's beyond description impossible. Um, but nothing is impossible for God. Um, and so that word that, that was with God and that was God, that word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Um, so watch this John gives us this this reality that Christ is more than just a prediction he's more than just another king he's more than just you know a guy who gives us a way to live or gives us a demonstration of how to how to do the right thing in certain settings or what have you he is God He is God in the flesh, like the infinite poured into the most finite of little packages. Um, He is, you know, my my kids have have over the last few weeks been sort of circling the Christmas tree like buzzards and, and guessing as to which box they want to open first and what the best things will be in, you know, like they shake them and they, you know, but in the tiniest of packages, the greatest gift arrived. Um, the philosopher Soren Kierkegaard called it the absolute paradox of the infinite in the finite. Like, like all of who God is just contained in Christ. And actually in a little baby born in a manger, like, like put in a trough, a feeding trough um, as his crib. Like, like, you know, the king of the universe worshipped by foreign pagans, which is, you know, where we started in Matthew. And then a little later, we'll talk about, like, the king of the universe worshipped by shepherds. Um, The image that that we see here is bigger, right? We go from sort of a glimpse and a guess to a smaller picture picture, to a bigger picture. And in a little bit, we're going to talk about the really big picture. Um, In all of this, like, we should be amazed. We should... Stand before God amazed, like the shepherds stood before the angels singing, you know, as they sung, like, like glory to God in the highest. Um, we should stand amazed at the, the gift, at the blessing, at the, the coming of God to be amongst us, Emmanuel. Command. 
kind of gone from one picture to the next to the next, the, the future hope um, image to the, the fulfillment of what everybody expected to the, oh, wow, this was way bigger than what we had, like, anticipated. And we're going to jump into Revelation, making this the very first Christmas Eve service I've ever been to where Revelation was used as a part of the message. Um, and Revelation, like, if you read it, it is a confusing book. And it's part of the reason I don't often preach on it. Um, because as you go through it, there are monsters and there are, you know, like weird hornet things that are kind of invisible and there are angels and there's, there's wrath poured out of bowls and there's, there's four cowboys who all show up at the same time. And, and, um, like, like there is, there's so much stuff happening. Um, but it's all symbolic and it's all in this apocryphal language and it's painting this grand, amazing picture of the end. You know, of, of God taking a broken, rebellious, sinful, like, like, like creation and setting it right. Um, of the great war that God fights for his people. Um, of the, the pouring out of, of, you know, God's power and his might and his anger on wickedness and on his enemies. And, and so in the middle of it, there's this text. And there are a lot of people who've tried to interpret this different ways. And I'm not saying this is the definitive but it's really hard to get away from the, the, the weight of this. Now watch this. A great sign appeared in the heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour the child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Really hard to read that and not get the image of like Mary giving birth to Christ. And, you know, this, this great evil in the world that tried to swallow him whole, 
you know, at the very beginning as Herod comes, comes out and tries to, I mean, literally tries to have him killed, kills the firstborn in the region, and, and they have to run away to Egypt and hide. And then ultimately this, this child um, who's to rule the nations with an iron scepter, again, sounds a little like Jesus, um, is snatched up to the, to, to the throne of God like where Christ is now at the right hand of God. Um, whether or not this is about that, I, I think there's a, the, the weight of the text points in that direction. Don't come up to me with your copy of Left Behind later. I'm not going to listen to you. Um, <laughs> talking to you, Mark. Um, <laughs> in the big picture that we're seeing in Revelation, we see a broken world, and we see God arriving as a child to save it. We see great battles happening around him. We see great evil um, taking place. We see the stars being thrown down from the sky. We see, you know, again, four cowboys showing up and bringing pestilence and war and famine and death with them. And, like, all of this stuff. But in the end, um, the Lamb of God is triumphant. In the end, that baby born in Bethlehem, um, you know, 2,000-ish years ago, um, arrives and is successful in his mission. Um, the biggest picture that can possibly happen here is that in in the context of history, Christmas morning is wow. It's it's sort of the hinge moment in history. It is it is the defining moment of everything that ever is and everything that ever was and everything that ever will be. Like, like the birth of Christ sits in the middle of it. It's the climax of the story, like, like Christ's birth, death, resurrection, um, his, his arrival to save us, to reconcile us with God. And so as we celebrate, as we sing, as we worship, um, we worship with heart and mind focused on what it is that God is doing for us, what it is that, that um, God is building up to in the process of, of all of this stuff. Um, are we singing? Is that really the next song? Okay. I think it is supposed to be Joy to the World then. We should do Joy to the World. <coughs> Let's sing some more.
My wife is scrambling to fix what I broke earlier. Um, so we we've looked at some we've looked at you know the looking forward, and we've looked at the fulfillment of the Jews' hopes, and we've looked at um, you know the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, like Jesus is God, and we've looked at the birth of Christ in the big picture of all of history, and now we're going to look at it as it relates to us. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Now, I'm going to pause here, and most of y'all have heard me say this before, but I, man, to me this is the weightiest bit of the Christmas story. Um, shepherds in ancient Jewish culture were... Um, they were considered human garbage. Um, they were considered the worst of the worst. Actually, the Talmud forbids um, shepherds from like representing anything in court. So, like, I could kill, let's say, Terry in front of a group of shepherds, and they couldn't testify against me because the assumption of all Jewish people was that all shepherds lied all the time. I'm not actually going to kill Terry. Um, <coughs> Nor does this constitute a confession. Um, <laughs> but, but shepherds, like they were, they, were considered, they were considered garbage. And that was because their line of work required them to work all the time. Um, they couldn't go and observe temple ordinances. They couldn't offer sacrifices. They couldn't do anything. They just spent time around sheep. And they did all kinds of stuff that rendered them ceremonially unclean. And it was virtually impossible for them to follow most of the laws set forward, like, like that, that were set forward by the scribes and the Pharisees and these other guys. Like they couldn't follow these cleanliness laws because of how they lived. Their whole life was kind of the, you know, bound in the wrong direction. Um, during the Middle Ages, actually, uh, to kind of emphasize this, and, and you know, y'all have probably heard me say this, they used to bury shepherds with a handful of wool so that when they got to the doors of heaven, they could offer it up as like an excuse. You know, hey, this is why I miss church. Um, I, I, you know, this is my note. Um, and so the people who are out here watching over the flocks, we always see these, these cartoons, you know, like where they look cute or, or you see the little nativity scene where the precious moments and the sheep, you know, the sheep look so cute and sheep aren't actually that cute in real life. They're kind of gross. Um, and the shepherds like smelled bad and they were probably dirty and they were considered to be human garbage. Like, like we never see them like this, but these are the guys that are out watching their flocks by night and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will, call, that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This is a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Um, I'm going to pause there for a second. All of the stuff we've talked about in relation to the birth of Jesus, right? Like the prophecies and the king of the Jews and the he is God and like his birth is the center point in history. Um, what it boils down to for us is that when I'm at my worst and when you're at your worst and when you're at your most unlovable and most rebellious and most lost and most blind and everything else, um, 
Christ came for you. Like, Christ came for these shepherds because he came for lost people. He came for people who aren't perfect. He came for people who stumble and fall and screw up and make wrong decisions and rebel and and hate things and are lustful and all kinds of other stuff. Like, he came to save those people. And so the people who are given the first birth announcement are people who can't even testify in court as to what they saw. And they were the first ones who got to see him. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Um, like, as it relates to us, um, the angels came and announced this to the shepherds. And I got to think that the choirs of angels had been practicing for this for quite a while. And they stepped out into the sky, and the sky lit up, and it was brighter than... You know, the Christmas lights over here at um, the cook's house, like, like just lit up the world. And they sang glory to God. Um, and the shepherds got to see it. And it's amazing. Because the glory to God is in the mercy he shows to us, in the obedience of Christ on the cross. Like the cross is his glory. And our salvation, because he shows mercy, is his glory. And it is amazing. When the angels had left them... And gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Um, My challenge for you today is to wake up in the morning and to go looking for this thing that the scriptures told us about, that the angels sang about that the prophets predicted, that the Jews expected, that John tells us was about like the Son of God himself, that, that Revelation tells us is the cornerstone of history. Like, like wake up, eat your fancy breakfast, open your gifts, do all the other stuff, like take the nap as soon as the kids are asleep again. Um, you know, all of the stuff that goes with Christmas. But don't forget to go and see. What are you going to see? Well, in Philippians, Paul tells us, um, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of the servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedience to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And that is the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord and the glory of God and to the glory of God the Father. Um, What do we go see? We go see the Son of God who poured out his glory, who poured out his power, who set aside his nature as that which whom like he who all things were created through like like set aside the glory set aside the worshiping angel set aside you know everything and became a baby for you like grew up a man for you suffered persecution for you nailed to a cross and punished by God for your sins and so when you wake up tomorrow morning open the presents right Eat the cinnamon rolls, if you're so lucky. 
Um, do all of the Christmas stuff. Take your pictures, sing your songs, but go and see. Go and see this, this Christ who set aside everything to save you. The biggest gift you could possibly get in the tiniest possible package. Praise God for that. We always close Christmas Eve service <coughs> um, with a singing of Silent Night and lighting candles. Does everybody have a candle? Okay, please don't set anyone on fire. Talking to you, Mark. You want to get up and sing? You want to start it? We'll uh, start singing. I think Jess is going to bring the lights down some. As, as we light candles, as we sing Silent Night, as we finish um, this part of our service celebrating the birth of Christ, um, every one of us who knows Christ, every one of us who has that, that fire of the, like, the light of Christ in us, as we take it with us when we go, you know, we're not spreading the Christ fire of the divine Christ to everyone we know. Um, as we go out in the world today, as we go out in the world in 2021, which will hopefully be better, um, bring Christ with you. And let him be born in your life anew every day.
so tender and mild. Sleep in heavenly peace. Sleep in heavenly peace. Merry Christmas, y'all. It's actually one of my favorite scenes of the year, and nobody else gets to see it. Um, y'all's faces lit with candles and, and the amazing blessing it is to be a part of the family of God here. Um, go out and celebrate the birth of the one who makes us family. Amen.